Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I don't really believe in any cryptids, though the idea of them is fun except for Mothman. Around the time of these sightings in mid-fall 2017, I lived in a small town in southeast Michigan, Oakland County, and was attending high school. My older sister, who was nine years my senior and had a similarly timed work schedule, drove me to school extra early every morning so I could attend an extra hour and fit another class into my schedule. It was awful and started at 6 a.m., but we only lived about 15 minutes from my school so it wasn't all that bad of a drive. One morning we were making our way to the school as per usual through some super curvy wooded back roads by our house, a route we took every day. Suddenly, in a break between the section of road we were on, just between the third curve and the last curve before the road straightened out, I noticed two glowing red spots about maybe 600-800 feet in the distance. At first, I brushed it off as the area was known for deer and the spacing for eyes wasn't too far off, but I couldn't shake the wrong feeling I had. The eyes just weren't the right color to be reflecting deer eyes, and as we neared closer, 
it became apparent to me that if these indeed were eyes, the figure was far too tall to be any type of animal I could think of. It was still really dark out, so I was only able to make out the eyes and a dark black silhouette before. As our headlights were finally near enough to begin illuminating the figure, it took off into the sky like a literal bat out of hell. It moved incredibly fast, and before it took off, the dark silhouette expanded significantly in a manner that was incredibly similar to how birds use their wings to take off. Before I could hardly register what had just happened, it disappeared over the tree line and out of sight. At first, I was worried I was seeing things, however, as I looked over at my sister. I was met with a mirror of my same shocked expression. She asked incredulously if I had just seen that, too, and we began conferring about what we just saw. I was relieved to hear that I wasn't going crazy as she described the same things I had also just seen. I still think about that morning to this day, and was surprised when a couple of years after it, I came across your articles and reports. A lot of the sightings and encounters you compiled dated around the same time. I saw what, I believe more and more every year, had to be Mothman. I've been going through this for a long time. I'm 28 and feeling frustrated, lost and ready to die. Recently, I had an encounter with a person entity that made me realize I'm not crazy. It's important to be careful about what you believe because childhood stories can turn out to be real. These entities are present all the time, often unnoticed. They appear as flickers of light, similar to the sparks when you hold your breath or get hit hard. Their intelligence in observing us is a mistake on their part. It all started when I was a child, always curious and seeking to understand how everything worked. I had knowledge beyond my years, even though I didn't fully comprehend it. The adults knew I was different. They controlled everything and were caught in the middle of their game. Demons, ghosts, fairies, trolls, Nephilim, and even aliens are real. I've seen more than my fair share of them. I'm dead serious about this, and if you put me on a lie detector, you would know. When I was eight, I discovered a circle mark on my stomach. Months later, I developed a sixth sense, predicting when things would go wrong. I could also sense the emotions of both humans and animals. At the age of 13, I witnessed shadows moving at the end of my bed, and I would become paralyzed with fear. When I woke up, I had a brand on my right hand. At 16, the shadows appeared again, and I woke up with a brand on my chest. This mark stayed with me until I was 18. At 20, my gift of sensing emotions became overwhelming, making it hard for me to go anywhere without having an anxiety attack. At 22, a deep, beautiful voice spoke to me, telling me to search for the golden compass using a golden seal. I couldn't come up with something like that on my own, and I couldn't find any information about it. When I turned 23, I experienced the touch of death when something grabbed my shoulder, leaving me frozen with fear. On July 9th, at the age of 23, I had a terrible feeling that something horrible was about to happen. The next day, my fiancé died in a car accident, drowning upside down in a pool. Since then, the entities that visit me at night have become hostile, trying to paralyze me, but I won't let them. I fought against one of them recently and was able to break free. Now at 28, I'm ready to ask for help. 
People like me with unique abilities are seen as threats by these entities. They have their own plan, and we need to figure out which side we're on. So in the end of August, this guy I was talking to now, boyfriend, 43 male, he wears a size 12 shoe, important later, and I 21 female went fishing. We went to one of our normal spots, a spillway type deal coming off a mountain tucked into a small bowl-like valley. There's a really nice little pool there. So we go fishing and it's like 10 p.m. We had seriously just gotten there and set up when a giant rock came flying through the air into the middle of the pool. We hollered out, hey, we're fishing down here. Sorry for disturbing your camping, but we're done setting up and just want a quiet night. We'll be respectful if you will. A second later, another rock came flying through the air and landed two feet from me. We decided to go investigate who is chucking rocks at us. I go and shut off our side by side so there's no lights. We go up to where the rocks seemed to be coming from and didn't see anyone or any footprints. We go back down to our little hole, and I feel someone watching me from each side of the valley. I was starting to freak out, but not going to say anything because I'm a big tough girl. I'm not, but I didn't want to seem like a wimp. Another rock comes flying down into the pool. I clean up my stuff and go to my boyfriend and say I'm leaving with or without you. He agrees to leave and we pack up. I tell him I felt like we were being watched from both sides and he agrees. Well, he was pissed, so he goes back to check out where we were the next day. He found where the person was camping and had a stockpile of large rocks to throw at us. Whoever it was dug out a hole to sleep in, and my boyfriend found footprints that made his feet look tiny, probably a size 15, and where they were camped they had a perfect line of sight to us. The crazy thing is we walked right below him and were six feet from him. We never saw him even with our headlamps on, and I kept looking in his direction. I do have the pics he sent me, but he has an old phone and won't let me get him one with a better camera. My old man would take my brothers and I hunting out of this little cabin in Colorado. The cabin is way isolated, and I mean this place is a good 30 to 40 miles from the nearest town, and that itself is only a handful of people nestled right in the middle of Nowhereville, USA. To get there you have to go over a mountain pass and take a ton of old dirt roads, but in the end, it's worth it. The hunting is great, the sights are unforgettable, and you are completely isolated. One year my brother, who I'll call Carl, and I decide to play a little prank on our youngest brother, Lou. We have a habit of telling scary stories, and this only increases when we go camping and hunting, because that's just one of the things you do out in the middle of the woods. Carl and I finish telling Lou a particularly frightening tale, and like the loving brothers we are, we start egging him on about all the creepy shit that's probably lurking outside the cabin as we speak. Lou is getting way into it and begins to freak out, and our dad has enough of mine and Carl's antics and sends us out to get more firewood. While we're out there, Carl and I devise an even greater prank that'll surely scar our baby brother for life. So like the idiots we are, we start making all these howling noises. Now we're a good 50 yards from the cabin at this point and Carl and I are lying in wait for our little brother to come investigate where we went since that's something our dad would make him do. 
Sure enough, Lou comes out with a high beam light and starts scanning the area from the doorway to see where we are. Now Lou hates coyotes and we continue to make howling and growling noises while he searches for us. And from what we can see of him, the kid is petrified on the spot as he looks for us. As soon as he passed Carl and I with the light, we jumped out of the darkness and snarled and ran at him on all fours, scaring the living hell out of our little bro. Mission accomplished. Next thing Carl and I know, our dad is in the doorway and boy, our old pops is fuming at this point. He grabs the light Lou had dropped and turns it on us as we're making our way back. I turned to Carl and told him it was nice knowing him, but before our dad goes full Jack Torrance from the shining on our asses, something changed in the way my dad was standing. I visibly saw his silhouette sag in the doorway as he looked out into the night, and suddenly he's telling us to get in the cabin as fast as we can. I didn't hear anger in his voice at all. I just remember the fear in his words as he started yelling, Boys, don't turn around. Just get back to the cabin now. Now, now. Carl and I barely made it through the door before our dad slammed it shut and managed to lock it with his shaking hands. He made it to his chair and sat down before facing us and said with the straightest face, Stop scaring your brother. Turns out they planned the whole thing when we went out for firewood. This is my story with the Mothman of Chicago. I genuinely believe this one in particular roosts in bus woods in the western suburbs Rolling Meadows area. I am in a suburb next door. This occurred right at the start of the pandemic in early 2020. Many things were shut, and this moonless night was easily the darkest I'd ever experienced in the suburbs. Usually, light pollution means you can see 24-7, but this night was particularly dark and quiet. It was like 2 a.m., and I'm in the garage tinkering on one of the bikes listening to some music, not super loud when there was a crash on the roof of my garage. I've had raccoons jump off the tree onto it before, but this sounded like a person my size just jumped onto it. The whole building shook my garage is an old horse barn, relatively small for a barn but big for a garage and detached and across the driveway. Well, I heard this and I knew it couldn't be a raccoon, but that's what my mind went to. So I grab a shovel and step outside trying to look up, but it's so dark I can't see a darn thing. As I round the corner of the garage into the front part of my yard, which was so dark I couldn't see my neighbor's house, I swear on my life I hear something jump down and land maybe 15 yards in front of me. I can't see anything. I don't remember hearing anything breathe, snarl, growl, or anything like that which you would if you were face to face with a raccoon. They're noisy, so I'm standing there, dead stopped holding the shovel like a walking stick unsure of what to do or even what's happening. I had a very visceral feeling that I was squaring down with something my size though I felt it. I knew I couldn't just stand there and wait to become a victim. I have a mentality that I never will be one. I'll throw the first stone every time. I raise the shovel to my other hand, taking a defensive grip and step forward, only taking one or two steps before I hear three heavy footfalls. Then I hear the fence behind my garage rattle, and then I hear a whooshing sound like a great pair of beating wings. I genuinely believe when I stepped forward, whatever was there turned, jumped on the fence and took off flying. I never even caught a glimpse. I was 100% sober, 
no drinking, and I don't do drugs. I was not sleep deprived, I only got off work an hour and a half prior. I think my garage was the only light for miles and my music drew it in. No one and I mean no one else was for a mile in any direction as far as I could tell. As soon as that thing left I shut down the garage and went inside somewhat shaken thinking, holy crap, I damn near got into a fight with something and I don't even know what it was. The reason I think that it was the Mothman and why I think it roosts in bus woods is another story entirely. This is not an embellishment, this is a real event that happened to me, albeit only one time ever. The creepiest dive of my life. Two buddies of mine and I were on a night dive in the Puget Sound hunting prawns. It was about 1 a.m. and we're a good 100 feet deep the pitchest black you could imagine. We used to do this thing on night dives where we'd get in a circle, turn off our lights, then stir up the water and watch the bioluminescence float around us like floating stars in a black watery space. Beautiful. Only this one time we turn off our lights, stir up the water, and the water glows just enough to reveal a fourth person sitting in our circle. We were at a dive resort so it wasn't so odd to see another diver, only it was 1 a.m. we'd seen no one else prepping a dive at the dock. He was also alone, which was odd considering the dangerous conditions of a night dive in those waters, and he had no fins or gloves. I don't know how he swam so well without fins or didn't get hypothermia without boots or gloves. We wore dry suits because it was so cold, but this dude was in a wet suit with exposed skin, and we thought we saw a giant gash in one of the legs. So the three of us all notice him and we're too scared to move. I can hear my buddies panting in their regs, and the guy just smiles and waves, then swims away. Whenever you think you're alone and someone just shows up, like in an alley at night, it's weird as F. 100 feet underwater at night is terrifying. The beast was never clearly seen, but around 1992, while hunting a swamp just before dark here in Louisiana, I was stock hunting while wading through knee-deep water. I saw water movement through some very thick hedgerow-like brush. At first, I believed it to be ducks, so I sneaked up to the edge of the brush for a clear shot. But when I got there, I could see movement through the thick brush six feet over the water, and at the same time there were small wakes in the water coming through the brush every time it moved. I was less than 10 feet from this animal, and I could hear it sniffing the air. It suddenly froze still when it picked up my scent. We were frozen in a noiseless standoff for at least two minutes. It couldn't see me, but it was looking for me because it knew I was very close. I knew this was something weird and my situation wasn't good. So while mostly hidden, I slowly and quietly over a minute or so replaced the bird shot in my 12 gauge with three three magnum thousand buckshot. When I raised my gun to ready fire it saw me, and when it did I believe it thought that I was closer than it expected, because that thing screamed like a wild hog, being killed x10 very hair raising loud. It then suddenly leaped several feet out of the water, and about 12 or so feet out into deeper water of about 8-10 feet deep. In that instant when it jumped I could see its back, or something slightly above the brush, it had spiked hair. When it landed in the water, it sounded like a 300-plus-pound animal splash, 
It remained underwater until it reached the other side of the slough. When it came out on land, I couldn't see it. I then made a huge circle around the animal to try and cut it off in an ambush. I wasn't really scared because even though it was God knows what, I knew I scared it more. I mean, I sneaked up less than 10 feet of this thing, and it had no clue I was even there until it winded me. Besides, at that range, a 12-gauge with that load of shots is like being shot 10 times with an R-15 in one spot. A 12-gauge load like that can put a hole the size of your fist through a wild hog. That's an animal that has one of the toughest hides on the planet. There's nothing on this earth that will survive very long with a rib cage shot from that load at that range. I knew this already, that's why I give chase. Anyway, I tried ambushing with no luck. I wanted to continue hunting it, but all I had was a small pocket light, and it was only about 10 minutes before total darkness. Before I set out of the swamp, I looked and found its tracks. I found canine-like tracks about four or five feet wide and six, seven foot long. They were bipedal tracks set about six feet apart due to the animal running. There's a lot more to the story, but I will leave it at this for now. I gathered enough info about this animal over the years that I'm convinced it can be hunted and killed. It walks on two legs and has canine-like feet, so it's whatever you want to call it. I just know it exists, and I see it more as an animal than a monster. My girlfriend's dad told us he was out moose hunting when they came across three guys from out of state looking to party before a wedding get drunk and have a good all time. They were loud as F for the next two nights to the point the dad's group went and checked it out. The groom had been tied up and was beaten because he cheated on his bride with one of his friend's significant others. After he was rescued, he told them they held a gun to his head and he was most likely going to be murdered in rural Alaska. This story almost belongs on no sleep, but I swear it's real. Hiking along a section of the PCT with my aunt and dog after three days, we found ourselves at an impassable river crossing with the dog and have to head back. Reluctant to go over the mountain passes we just did, we pulled out our map and find what seems to be an interesting trail through the Ansel Adams wilderness to that will put us back where we started. We go to a resupply point, got some dinner and a shower, and ask if we can get a four-wheeler right up the road to the trailhead. They say nobody goes up that road and we couldn't get one, but a man on vacation with his family offers to help up out. We drive about two miles up the road and it proves to be so washed out. It becomes impossible to drive further, so we then him for his help and continue on foot. We walk another three miles or so to the trailhead and find it completely destroyed by fallen over trees and it looks like no one has been there for decades. Turns out this was an old logging road used in that area before it became a wilderness area 50 or 60 years ago. So we start hiking down the, the trail another four miles until we camp for the night. Along this trail, we see nothing but bear tracks and deer tracks, no people tracks, horses, or anything. We even stumble on a bear in the middle of taking a dump on the side of the trail and scare him off. From our camp, the road or trail gets really tough. It was about six miles of climbing over giant fir trees, one after another. We finally reached an opening and followed it for about another mile until amazingly we couldn't believe it. 
but we came up on a two-story building way out there in the middle of nowhere, 15 miles from the nearest people and 50 from any civilization. This place was super eerie. The house was straight out of the Blair Witch, and it must have been there since before it became a wilderness area. This where thing got weird. We found a sign here for our trail that pointed directly into thick brush and bushes. This is when we knew we were a little screwed. We decided that we should just go for it anyway. We were too far to turn back now and luckily we had a GPS to help guide us even without a trail. So we go through the bushes and follow what used to be a trail. We get about another mile or so down the trail before I notice barefoot human prints. Let me remind you that I've been seeing bear prints and cougar prints along this trail the whole time. These were human. I put my size 11 hiking shoe over it, and they were the same size and shape and asked my aunt if I was going crazy, and she agreed it was human. We walked another 500 yards down the trail with human prints, leading us to what looked like either a dump or a homeless camp. There was a tarp strung up, trash bags piled up, and garbage scattered all over next to the creek. Nope, F that. No more investigating this creepy place in the middle of nowhere. We just hiked as fast as we could continuing up the hill and away from that place as possible with the eerie feeling that someone was watching us for miles. We continued the way we did hiking with no trail for another 12 miles until we reached a maintained trail on the other side of the pass, along some really pretty areas that probably haven't been seen in years. But seeing a homeless Bigfoot camp in the middle of nowhere was not one of them. However, when I was younger, my father bought a plot of reclaimed coal mines land. It was quite literally in the midst of hundreds of acres of wilderness. Me and my younger brother would play in the woods around our house, and we found some interesting stuff. There was an old wooden wagon that was broken down and rotting that we found. We also found what looked like the remnants of an old cable pulley system with wooden buckets attached to it. The thing that scared me the most happened to me and my best friend at the time. We were outside playing basketball when these shadowy figures appeared at the edge of the forest. There were four of them, and they were completely black except for their eyes. It was like a... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Pen prick through paper that when you shine a light on it, the paper is the shadow and hole is this area of light. That's what their eyes looked like. They knew us by name and called out to us. They were calling us over to them. We ran away into the house and didn't come out for a long time. This happened when I was eight or nine years old and I guess I repressed it. But I kept having this memory of these shadow people and my friend. At first I thought it was just a dream that I'd had, but the memory was persistent. When I was much older, I believe mid-twenties, I was with my friend and told him that I had a question that I needed to ask him. I told him that it was going to sound crazy, but it happened while we were playing basketball when we were younger. He instantly answered saying the shadow people at the edge of the woods. It completely threw me. He verified that it had truly happened without me really asking about it. It still shakes me to this day when I think about it. I was a field engineer doing software installation and commissioning on telecom equipment controllers. These units are located at cell sites tower bases which your phone connects to in order to provide you service and connectivity from your cell service provider. A lot of these towers are in very, very remote places. In this particular project I would go in the day after the construction crews completed their tower and electrical work. I would be by myself with just my work truck, air card and laptop. This particular site was in rural Virginia. I probably still have the email from when I was on that project with the site's coordinates, so I will try and post those later if I find them. If it's not against policy, of course. The site was about two, three miles into the deep woods of Virginia. It was near a now abandoned mine of some sort. Not sure exactly what they were mining for, but there was very old mining carts and drilling equipment scattered about as I was driving to the site. It was starting to get dark, but this was supposed to be a quick in and out type deal. LTE commissioning usually takes one hour or less, and since I saw a Civil War era cemetery connected to the gravel road which leads to the site, I was in more of a rush than usual. See the thing is, when you try and rush things, especially because of fear, you will F up. And boy did I F up. Something that should have taken one hour took over four. When I finally completed my work and closed my laptop screen, I realized how dark it was outside and that I was all alone at the base of a tower in the middle of nowhere. I quickly gathered my belongings and headed towards my car, which was probably 60 yards away at the gate of the compound where the tower was located. When I tried to close the gate behind me, it was so dark that I couldn't see the chain and lock, so I put my car in reverse, put the e-brake up and shut off the ignition. This way my reverse lights were lighting up the gate for me so I could close it. Just trying to give you an idea of the utter darkness I was in. After all that I headed down the trail to the secondary gate which leads to the site, about half mile from the actual compound. Same situation as before, too dark so had the car in reverse. Well when trying to close this gate I heard in the distance what I can only describe as the most menacing and evil female laughter. It sounded like it was pretty far away, but I got shook to the bone. 
I left that secondary gate wide open and noped the hell out of there. On the drive out I remembered the cemetery I had to drive by. Needless to say I didn't look at it when drove past it on the way out. After speaking with the construction crew that built the site, they also said they heard people whispering in the woods at night but could never spot anyone. They also heard what sounded like people picking at rock with tools but they were certain no other construction or anything was taking place anywhere for miles on end. I am in the U.S. Coast Guard, and I recently was assigned to a ship. I was going through our log books to look up something and noticed that on the bridge a unknown blue light was observed beneath the water's surface the night before. This intrigued me so I started looking through more of the logs. Apparently every two, three weeks they enter lights of varying colors in places you would not expect. Usually white, red, or green lights are on the horizon, or in the sky ships and aircraft. But they seem to report colored lights under the water, sometimes moving around, sometimes stationary. Lights in the sky moving at extreme speeds, then immediately stopping or disappearing altogether. Sometimes lights are visible to the naked eye, but when we try to look at it with FLIR or night vision, they are undetectable. I was in high school that time and right in front of our house, there was a secluded park. That park is empty and peaceful, but it gets crowded at a certain time of the day because of dog owners. So my dogs are not friendly, and because of that we take them out a little bit early than others. Like usual, I checked the park out from window, and there was just a man walking around the park. I took my two dogs Golden Retriever and Yorkshire Terrier and went to park. I was listening to music and waiting for my dogs do their thing. I realized that bald and middle-aged man was glancing at us, but he was keeping a distance. I usually know everyone that comes to that park, but it was my first time seeing that guy. I am a paranoid person and wanted to go, but my small dog were still looking for a place to poo-poo. When my dog was sniffing around, we had to stop walking. That guy got close to us and said, I have a friend and he will bring two aggressive pit bulls here. You should get out. I was surprised and just said eight and got out. Didn't even question and walked out of the park. We could see the entire park clearly from our windows. I almost knew all the dogs that hang around in the park and even know their personalities. I never saw or heard about pit bulls nearby. After some time passed, no one was coming to the park. That man was walking kinda wobbly and talking to himself. He was holding some kind of small bag in his hand and he was smelling that bag. We just understood immediately, but we were quite amazed by his trick to get me out. After some minutes, a grandpa and his grandchild were walking the hallway to park. That guy didn't even wait them to enter and ran to them and yelled like a crazy. That poor old man was scared a lot. He didn't say anything and just left immediately. We were fine with him getting high in our park up until now. He took a thick tree branch and ran after cats. I got even more mad and made my mom call the police. They arrived 30 minutes later. That crazy guy walked on the police too. They took him and we didn't see him that day. After a winter, we saw him again. We were like, ugh, here we go again. It was our dog's toilet time again. 
I was studying to my exams and asked my mom to take them out. There was also a gardener and some kids in the park. She decided to go because she was not alone with him. Dogs did their thing and she was just going out. She was just about to leave he walked on my mom and raised his arm. But thankfully he was so wobbly. He couldn't get much close. The gardener was just watching from the corner. She screamed a little and went back home. He got taken by polices for three times, but he always got back on summer days. My dad was a merchant sailor. He has seen and done some shit. Some things he still won't even tell me. Apparently, there was this crew once, probably more than once, that included this crazy guy that slept with a hatchet, who was one room over from my dad, and also a guy who everyone hated. One day, they woke up, and the guy everyone hated was missing. There was some blood around one of the portholes. The way my dad puts it, you can't fit a grown man through one of those portholes whole. I've tried, so probably murder, and no one gave a shit. I've been a small-town police officer in the quiet corners of Kentucky for as long as I can remember, but nothing could have prepared me for what I encountered that fateful night. It was a night that would forever haunt my dreams and make me question the very fabric of reality. The call came in just after midnight, a chilling whisper in the dark that sent shivers down my spine. Someone unknown had dialed 911 their voice trembling as they reported something weird happening at an abandoned underground facility on the outskirts of town. It was an unusual call for our quiet little community, but we were obligated to investigate. I arrived at the scene, the headlights of my squad car slicing through the Inkai blackness of the night. The facility loomed before me, a foreboding structure that had long been forgotten by the world above. I could feel a palpable sense of unease as I approached, like the very earth beneath my feet was trying to repel me from its depths. The entrance was an old, rusted door that groaned in protest as I pushed it open. The air inside was heavy with the scent of dampness and decay, and a dim, flickering light barely pierced the darkness ahead. I cautiously descended the stairs, my hand resting uneasily on my holstered weapon. As I delved deeper into the facility, I began to uncover the disturbing truth. The rooms were filled with eerie equipment, strange contraptions, and a grotesque array of medical tools. My heart sank as I realized the nature of the experiments that had taken place here. Human subjects, their faces contorted in agony, lay scattered across the floor, like the victims of some twisted, macabre ritual. The dread that had been building within me began to escalate as if the very walls of the facility were closing in. I felt an oppressive presence, a malevolence that seemed to seep from the very walls themselves. I knew I was not alone. On one occasion, I stumbled upon an encounter that would forever be etched in my mind. In the dim light, I saw a large, dark figure walking upright in my direction. It was black, a bit shorter than I, with no visible neck that I could see. Its head was oddly shaped, sniffing the air with its nose pointing up. I could not see any visible eyes. I was rooted to the spot in fear, unable to physically move a muscle. The creature sensed my presence, and in a sudden blur of motion, it lunged at me with unnatural speed. 
We tumbled to the ground, and in a panic, I unholstered my weapon and fired. The gunshot echoed through the underground chambers, but I missed my mark, the bullet harmlessly embedding itself in the wall. Fear coursing through my veins, I managed to scramble to my feet and flee the scene, my heart pounding like a drum. I raced up the stairs, through the echoing corridors, and out into the cool night air. Once outside, I called for backup, my voice trembling as I recounted the horrors I had witnessed. My fellow officers arrived swiftly, their flashing lights illuminating the facility's entrance. But as we cautiously re-entered the facility, the creature was nowhere to be seen. It had vanished, leaving only a trail of dread in its wake. We combed every inch of that facility, but there was no sign of the mysterious creature. The experiments, the inhuman suffering, the malevolent presence, it was all very real, but the entity that had haunted me remained elusive. As I stood there, breathing heavily, I knew that the nightmares of that night would never truly leave me. It's one of those nights that I can never forget. I was dispatched to a call about an erratic driver, but it sounded like the call was taken by mistake. There wasn't any description other than suspect operating vehicle erratically, so I figured it must have been for somebody else. When I got up to the area, though, there he was, the suspect himself, driving down the road as if nothing had happened. I pulled out after him, trying to get his attention with my sirens and lights, but he didn't budge, not at all. Until almost half a mile later when he finally moved over into the right lane, stopped on the shoulder facing me head on. He sat there in his car, completely still. I got out of my car with my flashlight and shone it on him. His expression was blank, like he didn't even see me there in front of his car. I didn't want to make any sudden movements in case this guy was dangerous, but at the same time, I felt like he wasn't going to do anything because he stopped himself. So I took a few slow steps toward him while my other hand hitched over to where my firearm is kept just behind the small of my back inside a cross-draw holster. He still made no movement whatsoever, so I took another step forward and then thought, this might be the only chance I get. I jumped into his vehicle through the open window, put one hand on his shoulder and another on his head. I tried to pull him off the window, but it's like he was stuck, like he was glued there. He didn't even try to resist or anything. Then I saw it. This massive gash on the side of his chest, like something straight out of a horror movie. It was deep too, right down to the very bone. Lacerated flesh flapping in the wind against the jagged edges of exposed ribs, as if somebody had just hacked into him with an axe. It wasn't bleeding though. In fact, the blood seemed coagulated. It made me think, is he not human at all? There were no other injuries anywhere else on his body either so it didn't appear to be from some kind of accident. I left the guy sitting there because he was completely unresponsive, but I couldn't find any signs of blood. There were definitely marks on his body, though. They all pointed to the same thing. He had clearly been in some sort of hostile situation. I just called this in as a hit and run, left the car where it was, and tried to follow it. I called in an ambulance to get him medical attention. When the ambulance showed up, they too were shocked by his state and surprised by the fact that he was not dead. Although in checking his vitals, his temperature was 70 degrees, 
and his blood flow seemed to not be really going much at all, meaning he had very low blood pressure and his heartbeat was abnormally low. But he was still clearly alive enough to operate a vehicle. Talk about disturbing. It still really bothers me when thinking back. I mean, how often does this sort of thing happen? And seeing something like that, it really just sticks with you. It's very haunting. Hare hunting with my dad's family in Macedonia and some hills. We found a pair of relatively fresh tracks. We're getting closer to them when we start hearing crashes from what sounded like two massive animals. The hare tracks led into a clearing and we reached a bush to peek out. No shit, there were two wolves having a go at a bear. One of them got swiped and its left side torn open. The other nipped the bear on the front right paw and left. The other wolf died soon and the bear left. Once we were sure it was gone, my uncle put the wolf down and its head still hangs in his house to this day. Also, we shat ourselves and no hares were hunted that day. When I was a teen, I used to go off-roading or mountain biking in the big forested parks in my suburban town. I had been gone for a few hours and was nearing the farthest end of the park. It was starting to get late and I was deep in the muddied secluded trails. I turned a sharp corner on part of the trail and saw a man disheveled, maybe in his mid-forties or fifties just standing there. I was surprised and it stopped me in my tracks about ten feet away from him. The trails were really narrow and for me to turn around in the dense woods would leave me vulnerable to this guy if he decided to jump me or something. So I just stood there for a minute. We both looked at each other blankly. I said, hi, can I get past you please? He didn't say anything for about another minute. Then he spoke, would you like a blowjob? Needless to say, I backed up really fast, spun my bike around, called him a creepy mother F and rode off. Rabbit hunting at a fairly young age. We would take our beagle out to a farmer's land on Saturday mornings. Usually we would split up and just walk along somewhat shadowing the dog on either side. Sometimes we would kick up a rabbit and call the dog over, or she would find one herself. So on days with not many rabbits, we would end up walking a couple of miles in before turning around. On one such day, I stumbled on a clearing with a pile of hair at the edge. At first I thought it must be some animal fur. But then I realized it was spread all around the edge of the clearing and scattered around in the clearing as well, and also appeared to be human hair. Having no clue what I had found other than a shit ton of human hair a couple of miles into the woods, it was pretty creepy. Turned out I had stumbled on someone's harvested marijuana crop. The hair is used to keep animals away. So, ended up not so creepy. Tanzania dawn. We're on a platform that we built in a tree overlooking a carcass of a hippo, waiting when the king of jungle would come for its morning feast and our perfect shot. Suddenly our PHR guide, or professional hunter, silently points backwards, pale, with a drop of sweat coming down his head while looking straight ahead. I look back and see a pair of eyes about five meters from me sitting on a branch, the red sky gently reflecting in its pupils. A leopard. 
Now, leopards don't look intimidating comparatively to a lion or tiger per se, but what makes them so intense is the fact that they always finish what they start. If they pick a target to pounce, the target is done for. What a leopard does is it jumps and hugs you with its claws, gently bites you in the neck, and then starts going apish it with its feet right at your abdomen. We're about 1,000 miles from the closest hospital. I am also the youngest, the natural target. Fortunately, the story ends in a rather boring fashion. The leopard looked at us for a little bit and just said F these guys and left. I've never been one to dwell on the supernatural or the unexplainable, but there are moments in life when reality blurs with the inexplicable and you're left questioning the very fabric of existence. What I'm about to recount is one of those moments, a chapter from my time as a special forces soldier working alongside the CIA, deep within the heart of Mexico. Our mission was anything but routine. We were tasked with infiltrating a top-secret government facility known as Project Spectre. It was supposedly a biolab, but the secrecy surrounding it was suffocating. Our journey through the shadows of this underground complex would forever etch horrors into my memory. As we navigated the labyrinthine passages of the facility, the oppressive air seemed to weigh us down. Our team had dealt with cartel members earlier on our way in, but nothing could have prepared us for what awaited us deep within the bowels of Project Spectre. The complex was a maze of sterile white walls and cold, metallic surfaces. We passed by strange surgical apparatus, each more horrifying than the last. Our senses were on high alert, every creak of a door and distant, eerie hum amplifying our unease. Then, on one occasion, as we ventured further into the facility, we encountered something that defied all reason. It appeared suddenly, like a specter emerging from the shadows, and the sight of it sent chills down my spine. The creature had a pale, human-like hand with large claws and skin that glistened like glass, as though it were covered in a clear, viscous liquid. Its face was a grotesque mask of milky white skin, with eyes that were an unnatural shade of blue, veins pulsating beneath them. Its long, serpentine tongue darted in and out of its gaping maw, the only thing in motion other than the trees swaying outside in the wind. But what truly terrified us were its antlers, dark as mold, rising like twisted branches from its massive, deer-like humanoid frame. It must have stood at least seven to eight feet tall, a nightmarish fusion of man and beast. The creature's appearance was beyond comprehension, and before we could react, it lunged at us with a feral roar that sent shivers down our spines. We opened fire, our bullets finding their mark, or so we thought. The creature seemed unfazed, its glassy skin deflecting our shots, and it tackled us with a force that was otherworldly. We fought with every ounce of strength and determination, but the creature was relentless. Its antlers scraped against the walls, and its grip was unyielding. It seemed to have no purpose other than to sow chaos and terror. In the end, the creature vanished as quickly as it had appeared, leaving us battered and bewildered. We searched every corner of the facility, but there was no trace of the enigmatic being. It was as though it had slipped back into the shadows from whence it came, as I recount this harrowing tale, I know that there will be skeptics who doubt the veracity of my story. But I assure you, 
It is a true account of the horrors I witnessed in the depths of Project Spectre. The scars, both physical and mental, serve as a chilling reminder that there are forces in this world that defy explanation and reason. Some secrets are better left hidden, and some horrors are better left unspoken.